Thanks for tuning in to the Tyler Gossett Podcast. My guest today is Michelle Stansberry, owner and CEO of Boxberry Marketing. Michelle got her start at the age of 15, working on some political campaigns and helped McCain-Palin create online presence in social media. She recently started Boxberry Marketing to help other businesses reach their goals and reach more people. I really enjoyed sitting down with Michelle, talking about her background, learning a little bit about how companies market using social media, and our discussion around ethics and free speech as it pertains to social media. All right, well, Michelle, thank you so much for uh, for sitting down with me. Um, when I decided to do a podcast, uh, you were one of the first people that I reached out to, Aww. and uh, for a couple reasons. Okay, first of all, I think you're interesting. You've got uh, some really cool stuff going on right now in your life, but also. Um, you're you're a doer, what I would call a doer. So, you know, when I reached out to to Michelle, she's, um, you know, I was like, hey, are you interested in this podcast that I'm thinking about doing? You said yes, and then uh, you followed up with me. <laughs> I pushed you to do yeah, it. Yeah, twice. And so this is kind of the reason I I, I reached out to you because, um, you know, you kind of helped me kind of. All right, let's get going. Let's do this. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah, and absolutely. thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So um, one of the things I want to talk about right out of the out of the gate is, um, you know, where you kind of where you started. OK, so let's kind of go back to 2006. OK. Right. 2006, you're 15. To 2006, I was 12. But that 12? is when I like started my first. OK. Yeah. Yeah. So you started your first kind of foyer into um, social media and marketing so tell me kind of where, what happened there, how you were approached, and what you kind of did. So 2006, I worked my first U.S. Senate campaign. And it all—so I was—yeah, I think it was 12. So um, maybe a little bit older. And my mom basically signed me up for it. And she's like, this is just, like, good to learn civic responsibility. So <laughs> she was like, you're going to just— you know, volunteer for like three or four hours on this campaign. No yeah. big deal. And so basically I was just phoning prospective voters. Okay. And uh, then from there, she was like, okay, well, um, if you want to do a couple more hours, you can, but you don't have to do any more. And I was like, no, I really like this. Yeah. And then this, you know, reporter uh, reported on the fact like, you know, they had kids helping with this campaign right. that were actually into it. Yeah. And so from there, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. I get reported on for this. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think from there, um, I was just kind of hooked. And I met um, what would become my political mentor right. after that. And so everything kind of kept going. So uh, you're making calls um, for this political campaign. So did you like the fact that you were kind of plugged into this world? Um, did you like the – were you into the – the platform or the message that the that the particular candidate had. I don't think I understood enough about policy yeah. at that time. Like I, I grew up watching news shows, but I, I mean, when you're that young, you just you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I thought was just so cool was um, the environment of it. You know, just listening to all these political candidates come out and stump for this U.S. senator, um, and then you know all the press always swirling around them, all the people swirling around them. I just thought it was such an interesting world that I hadn't seen before. Right. And it seemed like a lot more serious to me and mm-hmm. a lot more uh, legitimate than maybe, you know, what you would see, like, if, you know, if you were on Disney or something. Right. As, in, yeah. like, as an actor or something. So um, 
so to me, it was just really, really an interesting world. And it just seemed so fascinating and serious to me. And I, I knew I didn't understand policy issues, but I understood like the implications of what it meant. Like, you know, they would go to Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. and how big of a deal that was. Yeah. And so, you know, when you're young, um, you know, I think you're, you've got a brain that's kind of wired like mine is where, you know, you keep your eyes open. Yeah. And so, you know, having a, an early look into something like that where it's like, a kind of peek behind the curtain mm-hmm. and what makes something work like that. And, you know, a political campaign is run a lot like a business. And, you know, why did we do this the way that they did it? Though, You know, why are we structuring things this right. way? Um, and kind of looking at a peek behind the curtain and seeing, you know, what makes things work. I can certainly understand why that would appeal to somebody um, like that. So, so now fast forward a little bit. And so our next step, we yeah. went into um, a little bigger campaign or quite a bit bigger campaign. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah. I interned for in 2008 for um, McCain-Palin. Right. So I had just turned 15. And uh, that was so fascinating because, you know, I did get to meet, you know, McCain and I got to meet Palin. But I also got to, um, you know, at that point, I, was, I understood policy a lot more. Mm-hmm. And at this point, you know, I really wanted to make sure I understood it. So I actually spent a few hours every day, you know, at this age, just Googling words that I didn't understand or like reading news articles and Googling it because I was a total nerd. And <laughs> and then from there, um, I did well enough in the campaign that they allowed me to run phone banks. So I was actually, I would organize volunteers and, you know, if some of the field reps couldn't be there, like I would be the point person making sure all these, I mean, we had these little like cell phones to use to call at the time. And so it's just very different technologically. And so these little cell phones and we had like little computers that everybody would fill out the questionnaires when they talk to people. And so, yeah, so I just did all of that, made sure the phones were charged, like little things here and there, but got to be involved in a lot of cool things too, like press conferences and policy meetings and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. so then um, at some point, we, you kind of started transitioning into the social media world. Right. Okay. So... Um, 2008, so the, the campaign ends, obviously. McCain-Palin did not, did not win. Um, it's and, close. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we carried Missouri, though. And that's where I was working it. There you go. You did your part. Yeah. So <laughs> um, from there, it was really interesting because, and I think this is something that I've always had in me where I always look for the next opportunity. And um, and it served me really well. So my mentor at the time, I kept in close contact with her. And um, 2009 rolls around, and it, it just started to become a really big time politically, especially mm-hmm. on the Republican side. And so um, she gave me an opportunity to speak at this event. And um, it was my first time speaking at any events, and it was 400-plus people. And the video is still out on YouTube, but I'm not giving the name of it. I'm totally looking that up. <laughs> and so um, – Anyway, so it was just such an intense experience, but I did well enough at it that it caught some people's attention. So they started booking me for speeches and I got paid to do it. But then on top of that, I was like, well, how else can I like parlay this into something even bigger? And so I started a website and I had actually had my first website when I was 12. So I already knew my way around WordPress and how to start it. So I started this website and it was a policy blog. And I gathered all my other little political nerd friends at the time. And we wa- we published content every single day that had to do with policy issues and news. And um, I used social media 100% organically. And we got to 10,000 page views monthly. Wow. And I'm in high school at this time. Yeah. And so for between that and getting paid to speak, you know, more and more opportunities kept on multiplying. And then... Um, um, and just using Facebook especially. 
uh, we got I got an opportunity to become a political radio commentator. And so I did that at 17, starting at 17 and um, had my own segment and just called in into Georgia every single week. So. Wow. So that's great. So. um so how did the social media, I mean, how did you learn that stuff? I mean, what did you do to kind of plug in? So it's new at that point, right? Right, right. It's, it's really new. Um, a lot of trial and error. So again, we weren't running ads, but mm-hmm. I just, what I did is, especially with Facebook groups, I um, found a lot of, and I still recommend this, it really works. So if you find a lot of Facebook groups that uh, are very similar to what you're targeting and you can post links to your blogs that you think will help people or people will be interested in, and you'll be amazed, especially if you do enough hype around it. And we did like little targeted launches. Like we read the Dodd-Frank bill and did a little launch around that. And so that got us another pop. Mm-hmm. And then same with the healthcare legislation. So you just get all of those pops. And that's why I'm really a big fan of doing some of those launches to get right. more people in. But publishing in those groups is amazing because people see it. They give you more opportunities. Right. They like the content and you get tons and tons of traffic. Right. And, and you know, to me, and I'm social media, we can get into this in a minute, but I'm uh, not what you would consider like social media uh, guy. I don't like just like crush social media. But, um, you know, I think the key to me is actually providing something of value yeah. to the people. Um, you know, it's so many pages out there are just, there's nothing that they, that I want to read or that, you know, if you can get something out there that it's like, oh, well, that's cool. You know, now I'm going to su- subscribe. I'm going to follow the page. I'm going to read. I'm going to click on the link next time. Um, and, you know, as a consumer, I would say that for me, is is what I'll look for. Yeah, so I, that's what I call informative content. So I've structured it down to there's informative content, and then there's your reviews and success stories from clients, and then you have your calls to action and audience engagement. Mm-hmm. And so informative content is just what you're talking about. It's yeah. really helpful information, no matter what industry you're in, that makes people be like, oh, okay, well, this is, this is actual information I get and can help me move forward to wherever I want to move forward to. Right, so now... Um, You've just started a new company, mm-hmm. and so you are CEO of Boxberry Marketing. Marketing. Yeah. Uh, so congratulations on getting that Thank off the you. ground. And again, this is just a testament to like, hey, you know, I think you were very prescribed in how you uh, got to where you are yep. today. And, um, you know, that's just kind of what I was talking about as far as being a doer. You know, you set out a plan and, and uh, execute on that. I am an extremely long-range planner. I mean, I <laughs> knew I was going to be starting my own company before I even got into real estate all yeah. the way back then. So. See, I like that. And, yeah. um, you know, I think, um, and you've, you know, you've already had success right yeah. out of the gate. Yeah. And so you can tell that you kind of put the planning into it. And, um, and I know you've got a good uh, group of people working with you too. So, um, so tell me kind of like, what, what is your firm doing? What are you kind of focusing on? Um, what kind of clients do you are are you kind of having right now? Yeah, so I started Boxbury Marketing. Um, I like telling this story because I just think that sometimes people have this barrier in their head of how hard it is to start a business, yeah. and it doesn't have to be that way. So I started Boxbury Marketing one night because I was tabulating up just every, all the skills that I have that I could use to turn into a business. I had decided that um, I had done real estate full time for five years. I was bored. I wanted something different. So I knew that I was good at social media, and I knew that I was good at it. Not so. Too many firms and freelancers focus on doing social media in a way that uh, focuses maybe on likes or views and not as much on getting actual leads. Right. And businesses need leads Mm -hmm. and they need to know how to convert. 
So I started Boxbury just one night. I sent 10 Instagram direct messages out to businesses. And I said, hey, like, would you be interested in learning more about, you know, how to actually get leads? You're not capitalizing on everything you can with your Instagram right now. And it just it literally started out just being for Instagram. And I didn't think anybody would respond. It was only 10 messages. It was like evening on a Wednesday. And I had three messages like responding saying they wanted my pricing sheets in an yeah. hour. And I had no pricing sheets. <laughs> right. So I had to go and uh, and go. And that night I rushed home and I started creating my pricing sheets and all my branding and everything. And um, so all of that said, it really started because I thought, okay, bus- I know businesses have this need. They have a need for the systems. No matter – you'll run into businesses who are incredibly successful, mm-hmm. um, but they're also incredibly fragile because they don't have multiple ways of getting their leads. So if one way goes out, they're done, they're toast. And so giving them multiple ways of getting leads, like in social media, multiple different channels, multiple different ways within social media, it gives them a lot of stability and it helps them scale and grow. So Mm -hmm. that's basically Would you say social media is your main tool? Is that kind of what you're focused on or are there other areas? So we're a full service marketing firm. Um, Social media is my favorite, but, um, you know, we build out websites and, you know, do Basically, we can take an idea for a business and turn it into something successful because we have that business development approach as well. Right. So um, we can build out all your systems. We can build out all your marketing and get you all the leads that you need. And basically, you just do what you're good at. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, when you're going to, like, help a, help a customer, help a client um, generate those leads, what kind of tools do you use in social media other than, you know, we talked about Facebook pages, Um you know, Instagram, Twitter, what do you do to try to try to help them grow their business and get leads? Yeah. So um, I love Facebook groups, first of all. Uh, if you know where your target customer is hanging out, join those Facebook groups and just comment when they have questions and you'll get a lot of success from that. I've gotten a lot of clients just that way. Um, the other things that you can do beyond Facebook groups and beyond your uh, Facebook page is just posting the kind of content I already talked about. If you do that in a succession of threes, so um, informative content and then uh, reviews and then the uh, calls to action, you're going to get a lot of results from that as well. Um, the other thing I people don't think about a lot that has gotten me a lot of success is actually just reaching out to people. Um, it's it's a different world out there. You know, sales calls are becoming more and more, you know, monitored and a lot of them are not legal anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also just annoying and right. people don't want to be sold to. So if you can reach out to people, I did this in my real estate career with LinkedIn. If you reach out to people with a message that's collaborative and says, hey, like, I want to figure out how I can help you. And I want to tell you a little bit more about what I do. Are you free for a cup of coffee? Mm-hmm. And it's going, it's made me tens of thousands of dollars just sending those kinds of messages. And it yeah. builds out a community for yourself for a long time. Right. So many people, I think, have their hand out saying, oh, hey, you know, help me. Yes. Um, yes. That when you flip that on, their, on, on its head and say, hey, what can I do to help you? And right. then, um, you know, you add value to other people. I feel like it comes back. Right. And so that's what we call more. social selling. It's just always adding value. Mm-hmm. If you're always adding value. And this is the two mistakes I see businesses make the most. They'll post stuff all about themselves, like their mission statement, and then be like, call us for more info. Nobody's going to call you. Yeah, they're they're like, not, they don't care it's about not solving their problems. Right. Like they don't they don't understand what you're selling. And if they do understand, they're like, well, who cares? And they just pass right through it. Um, it doesn't interrupt their thought pattern. The other thing is sometimes we all think way too much about uh, – so if you know your industry really well, as you should, 
you don't realize that everybody else does not know your industry as well as you. And mm-hmm. so I see this a lot with real estate agents. So they'll, they'll poke, uh, publish those market statistic reports. Right. And then so they publish and they're like 3,000 homes sold in the last month. And I mean, a consumer is going to look at that and be like, so? Is that, is that a lot or is that yeah. not a lot? I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, what does that mean for me? But if you're focusing in on like, hey, interest rates affect your affordability. And again, that's where I talk about educating people with that informative content. It right. helps a lot. Um, you know, so with kind of, uh, we talked a little bit the other day about uh, Cambridge Analytica. Yeah. And, you know, that's one thing I kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit on, you know, how you feel about um, how marketing targeted marketing on Facebook and on social media is being utilized right now. Um, you know, there's there was quite a bit of blowback on um, how Cambridge mined data and how they use that data um, during the presidential election most recently. Um, are you, you're pretty familiar with that, right? Yeah, of okay. course. So, so, well, maybe we should go back and kind of tell what that, it, for anybody who doesn't know yeah. kind of what they did, and I can chime in, you're probably better verse than I am. No, but, so um, I think if you go ahead and go ahead, I'll let you give the go ahead and give all right, a little. So just overview. jump in because uh, I'm sure people will be yelling at their um, phone or whatever <laughs> um, if I get something wrong. So just correct me. So Cambridge Analytica, as I understand it, um, a firm in the UK, political, um, what would you call it? Political uh, firm. They're basically a political marketing research firm, yeah. data, that kind of thing. Um, so they were they have had a few clients, but most notably um, the Trump campaign. Mm-hmm. And so as I understand it, the way that they got their information is they had an app on Facebook that about 270,000 people had downloaded. Mm-hmm. And that app also gave permission for them to pull data from their friends lists and their profiles. Correct, which is completely typical. Yeah. And um, and then they also mined data that was open to the public. And then but they just had such a sophisticated algorithm of matching that with people to predict behavior. And they ran test ads to um, to see what type of person would respond to a certain ad. So, you know, as I so we were talking, you know, if anybody's interested in kind of looking into what happened, if you haven't seen the documentary on Netflix, do you know the name of it? I'm not remembering the name. Yeah, you'll find it. It's, it is. Yeah, it's it's pretty easy to find. But yeah, it was great. Yeah. Um, it's long, but it's riveting. Um, yes. So talking about all of that stuff, I so feel. The, I guess the backlash, a was people felt like they didn't understand that their data was going to be used that way, mm-hmm. um, and. Number two, I feel like it was so effective that it scared a lot of people. Exactly. And what's so funny about all of this, I think the reason people got especially freaked out about it was because it had to do with politics. And so people are questioning the ethics of it, you know, versus a company doing it. But companies do this stuff, too. So that's one thing that, you know, when I hear this kind of stuff, um, you know, I feel a little bit bad for Cambridge Analytica in terms of, you know, they were the fall guy. Right. They're opening up an important conversation. They didn't necessarily break the law. Right. They didn't, you know. They did not break the law. But the thing is, and here's the biggest issue you know, that I've learned with running all the campaigns that I've run at this point, is that too many government officials do not understand technology at the rate that they need to. And, gover- oh, yeah. and government moves so slow. I mean, if you, oh my gosh, go to a government website and you'll just like see how slow and outdated things are so it runs so slow and adapts so slowly that um you know 
these things that need to be regulated are not regulated. There's right. a lot of uh, thought leaders that are calling for it and saying, you guys don't understand what, what data is What's about. What's going on, yeah. Yeah. And so I was raised by, you know, my dad, who's, you know, very big about technology. It's a lot of what he did. And so I was raised knowing about data really, really young. And um, so for me, this stuff, I hear it. I'm like, this is not that surprising for me because right. um, I already knew it could happen. I already knew it could be done. And it's actually stuff that, you know, I've thought about before. And I think that's the case with a lot of marketers and with a lot of people in general. And it's already happening all of the time. Those apps that you click on Facebook have been mining your data for a really long time. Right. And there's also something called web scraping. So web scraping is where uh, you could create a program. And it's going to take all of the information off of all of these Facebook profiles, right? And so then it'll do pretty much the same thing. So, of course, some Facebook profiles are completely private and you wouldn't be able to access those. But other ones, I mean... There's mm-hmm. always something on your Facebook profile, right? If you go to someone and you want to request them as a friend, you can see certain things about them. So you can just scrape all of that information off and use that in your marketing as well. And that's also not illegal. Yeah. And, you know, you, you said Cambridge was kind of the fall guy. And I think yeah. um, it's definitely uh, – it brings it to the forefront because people feel manipulated in what they were voted for. Or maybe they think that that might have might have been the case. But, I mean – I use Instagram quite a bit, and I can't tell you how many times. I'll give you a good example. I'm sitting there um, on the couch watching football Thanksgiving Day, mm-hmm. okay? And I look down, and I look – my brother-in-law is sitting on the couch beside me, a different couch. And I look down, and I'm like, oh, I like his boots. And I'm thinking to myself, I need to get some boots like that. I, my boots are kind of worn out, right? That's That thought enters my head. Mm-hmm. I don't Google it. I don't uh, – I don't look on Facebook for it. I, nothing. Don't take a picture of it. Uh, I never even speak it out loud. And I scroll through Instagram that night and very similar boots mm-hmm. show up on my feed as like, uh, hey, you, you know, you should buy this. So, you know, I don't know, A, is it like confirmation bias where it's like, you know, I just maybe that would have been in my feed and I wouldn't have even paid attention to it. Right. Um, which is possible. But. Really, what I think is going on, because we all have examples like that, is, you know, these algorithms are so good at predicting your behavior. Yeah. So maybe I looked, maybe I bought those boots exactly two years ago and Amazon knows, hey, it's about time. It's about time for a new pair. Or maybe you saw a picture of similar boots several days prior. And then, and I then noticed you saw it. his Very, boots yeah. and you're like, oh, and so you didn't even notice the other ad before because it wasn't on the forefront of your mind, but you saw the second time. And so right. your brain triggers it. And then you see, of course, like they're still retargeting you. So you see it again that night on mm-hmm. your Instagram and you're like, oh, okay. Like it so they do accurately, very accurately predict our behavior. And um for me, it's something that I'm I'm not that nervous about. Uh what we need to ask, and there's a lot of conversation being had about this, is is data someone's data, is that their personal property? And if it is their personal property, do they, you know, how much responsibility or how much freedom do they have and where it gets published to? Because right now, Facebook cannot monitor all of the places that it goes. They can tell you little bits and pieces, but they they have no clue what a lot of this stuff is being used for. It's become its own animal. And that's the case with a lot of social media and a lot of uh, Google and a lot of other places as well. Yeah. So nobody's ever going to read the user agreement. Right. No. I mean, I never have. Me either. Uh, I'm an attorney. And I never have. <laughs> right. For sure. Even maybe more so because of that. Um, but um, 
you know, it's also hard to under, to pass along to somebody or to try to even myself understand, well, why is it bad for me to put out there um, my uh, birthday and my political affiliation and my religious affiliation and where I work and this this kind of, these seem like things that I would tell anybody if they asked right. me um, open. So, you know, is that data, you know, why is it important to kind of keep that private? And, you know, sometimes I can probably get, I could probably argue both sides of that uh-huh. as to why it is and, and why it maybe it doesn't matter. Um, and, you know, maybe sometimes having that content out there might actually add value. So maybe I really did want those boots, right? And now right. I found it the cheapest place to to get those. I think it's like anything in life. There you have the uh anything that any tool that comes out. You have people that use it for good and you have people that use it negatively. Mm-hmm. Um what we need to decide is where the legislation comes in for that right. and where the ethics come in for that and uh you know just like most industries in some way are at least a little regulated there needs to be some regulation with with the internet and it's still very very much the wild west. Yeah, and, and we talked a little bit about um our um politicians not necessarily understanding um, technology. And, you know, I think to me, eye-opening was watching um, Zuckerberg testify before Congress and the questions that were asked and posed to him were outrageous. Yeah. And it was like laughable to me. I was like, and there's all sorts of memes and everything about like how um, insane the line of questioning was but well it's because they do not understand this is again goes back to my whole point (laughs) lawmakers do not understand technology so they're questioning on something that they do not understand anything about that they have not educated themselves on that they have not educated themselves on the potential of where it could go it's hard to legislate something effectively if you don't know where it's going Mm -hmm. or where it could go Um, it reminds me there is a uh, so I have this thing this is the PR in me but um, I'll choose people to uh, that I admire in terms of their interview skills and I'll watch all of their interviews to try to learn their tips And um, so I was watching actually quite a few on Elon Musk. I find him fascinating. Mm-hmm. He just has a very sarcastic, dry way of, right. of dealing. I, I think it's amusing. But Did you watch him smoke weed on uh, Joe Rogan? <laughs> I didn't. I did actually watch that one. Yeah. Yes. That was so funny. Yeah. That was probably not the best decision. But No. He, he was struggling a bit there. Um, he probably felt like a normal human for a second. Yeah. Like, oh. He was not, like, he's not really, a robot. Like, slow down for a second. It's like, yeah. oh, my goodness. Um, so, but it's interesting. So he had like all 50 governors of the states, you know, in front of him. And he was talking to them about like, hey, guys, get on this in terms of mm-hmm. AI or, you know, artificial intelligence, in terms of technology. Like you guys have a lot to regulate here, a lot that needs to be done or some scary things could happen. Right. And instead, when it came time, like he, that was his main premise of what he was talking about. And when it came time for these people to all the governors to ask questions, none of it was about this stuff. Mm-hmm. It was never none of it was about technology. They didn't understand it. Right. One governor, uh, I won't say which one, just sat there and was like, do you feel like your stock is overvalued? <laughs> and it's like, oh, my gosh, this is just not even you have one of the brightest minds in front of you right now that understands where technology mm-hmm. is going. You should be digging in deep and picking yeah. their brains. Well, I could do a whole podcast and maybe i will on artificial intelligence yeah and uh that, i love that it's stuff. crazy um you know especially we talked about using it for good or using it for evil but um musk will scare you to death on uh, ai for sure oh, yeah if you listen to much of him but i do want to kind of get back to what we we're talking about on the social media part and yeah. so since so we talked about you know ethically um 
we need to try to figure out, um, you know, what what is the what are the companies that have these so these social media companies? What are they um, responsible for? So, you know, I think to me, looking back um, towards like the beginning of social media, it, social media, the content was user provided, mm-hmm. and it was like, look, hey, we're going to provide this platform, and you guys provide the content. Right, take it and run. Do it what do it whatever you know you need to do. And so somewhere along the line, um, you know, I think when especially Twitter and even with the fake news that Facebook's trying to regulate, um, they have started a foyer into, okay, I guess we're going to police content. Mm -hmm. And to me, as soon as they kind of dip their toe into that water, now they flip the switch where, okay, well, I guess now Facebook or Twitter is now partially responsible for content. And to me, when they kind of made that move, um, I think it kind of sealed their fate. And, you know, it's it's so hard. There's so many users. I couldn't even tell you, you might know how many users are on Facebook or how many users are on Twitter. But either way, it's impossible to police all that content. Um, Right. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that your social media companies have an ethical duty to limit um, either... Uh, well, I guess the the topics would be limit content that just individuals are posting if, uh, you know, for whatever reason or uh, limit um, misinformation for advertising purposes or not. Uh, so there's a couple of different sides to it every time I think about it. Um, one, I'm very much in the realm of, you know, what business has should have a lot of freedom. It's, you know, it's their platform. They should decide how it goes. But when you have such a big reach, like Facebook does, or Twitter, or any of these social networking sites, or even Google, and you have such an ability to sway people's mindsets or sway, you know, an entire sector of people who believe the same way, you have to really start to ask yourself where where those lines need to be drawn. So I think that they do have a responsibility is kind of the conclusion that I've come to. I just don't know how much or what that looks like because I I still believe in free market abilities. I still believe in people being able to create amazing things from you know whatever resources are available to them, like social media. So I don't think it should be so intense. Uh, but it is it, it's starting to get a little bit scary, and I think it's going to keep on getting getting worse. But I think we've talked before about, you know, Alex Jones being censored right. completely because um, he would say things. You know, if you don't know who Alex Jones is, um, he would say things like, you know, the Sandy Hook shooting didn't happen. Right. And, very, very out there. Right. Yeah. I mean, so he's I think he's a crazy person. Yeah. Personally. But <laughs> yeah, uh, he's got a big following. And, you know, if, if you weed through the crazy, he does have some, you know, ideas that maybe add value. To certain people, so a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, the craziest people on the planet <laughs> can add a sliver of value, right? Like no one is all good and no one yeah. is all bad, but at the same time, he has also caused a lot of paranoia, and a lot of people just end up on these fringe sides of believing things, or they say, you know, these things just simply aren't true. Um, he also says nine eleven didn't happen. Right. So um, I think that so they took him off the sites completely. They took him off Facebook. They banned him from Twitter. Yeah. And I think that was a good call. Uh, and a lot of people would say, oh, that bans free speech. But it, 
you have to really think through the effects. If someone has that, that's what's so crazy about social media now is people can have the biggest followings. Mm -hmm. And so they sway a lot of people. And so then you start to say, okay, what's in the public's best interest or what's in the good? And who who decides that? I think that's a slippery slope. Oh, yeah. For me, I think you let the public decide what's in the public's best interest. Um, Really? You know, I think that people should have access to all different ideas. And then now it's up to you to, um, to, to maybe dig a little deeper and say, do I believe this or do I not believe this? And, um, you know, I think that is what free speech is all about personally. And, but, you know, when I say that, I say that as somebody who grew up in social media Mm -hmm. and I can watch, uh, I can look at a Facebook ad or a Facebook uh, article or you see them come through all the time Mm -hmm. and it'll have an inflammatory headline and I'll like kind of look at it and I'm like, what website is that from? It, you know, and I've never heard of that website. It's not even a .com address. It's like a dot whatever. And um, I'm like, this is probably fake, right? Actually, and here's something that you all, that everybody should really understand too. Um, when you click articles like that, you if they if that same organization runs Facebook ads, it allows them to create lookalike audiences. It allows them to use Facebook pixels to follow you around more. It allows you to get them to get more data um, what, with those lookalike audiences. So what's audiences. a Facebook pixel? Yeah. So Facebook pixel is some code that you install on a website. So you go to it. You go to the website. And then from there, the Facebook pixel allows you to create what we call lookalike audiences, which basically means that you can take that, you can, with a pixel, you can follow people around Facebook. So if you ever see- basically like a cookie? Kind of, yeah, basically like a cookie. And so that's, so if you've ever like clicked on something and then it just like follows you, that's exactly what we're talking about. Um, Or if you're continually seeing more and more of that kind of content. So are you saying- follows you within Facebook world or even outside of that? Facebook world, but it can also follow you through search engine marketing too if you're going to an outside website. So um, search engine marketing on Google and everywhere else. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen that. You know, I click on something in Facebook and then I go open a a Google search engine and then that ad is there. Right. So that's the kind of marketing we we can do. Mm -hmm. And and it's not all bad. I mean, if you, for example, for you with the boots, you know, if it's boots that you wanted or you're thinking about. If you own a shoe store, this is a great thing. Exactly. And it also is good for you too. If you wanted those boots and you're trying to decide which types you want, then you're seeing all these options. That's Mm -hmm. great. Where it gets bad is when you have these spam type websites, Mm -hmm. which was what you're talking about, an inflammatory clickbait, we call it clickbait type article that's, you're like, what? Is that possibly true? And you click without looking at the source then you're right. They can start following you around and they get, you know, they get more about you and, and mm-hmm. over time. So um, I will always say, be careful. If you don't r- trust the source or, or know the website, I think it's great that you look at that. And obviously I do too, but I wonder how many people do. It would be yeah. good to get some sort of polling done. Yeah, no. I mean, I think that um, eventually, like maybe I have more faith in society <laughs> than some people, <laughs> but I feel like people will understand, like as technology increases, um, people will get better at that. So certainly when I was 11, I would have probably read that article and been like, oh, that must be true or sure. that headline. You know, now as I uh, understand how things work, um, I'm more skeptical of things. But the other thing is I have watched YouTube videos. Like, if you watch a YouTube, you can be convinced the earth is flat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, those are great. They're yeah. really good. You're like, wow, this, is, this, this seems pretty plausible. And then you're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Science exists. I forgot about that. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think um, 
I think it's really any negative that you get from allowing these ideas to be um, shared, if they're false, if they're um, inflammatory, if they're um, flat out wrong, the negative stuff you get from that um, pales in comparison to the potential of limiting thought. Sure. But I will say that I think that consumers as a whole, if you really wanted to be completely informed about everything that could happen with your data and everything about marketing and how people can follow you around and just how they can use your information, if if you really wanted to learn all of that and be up to date on all of it, it would be a a more than a full-time job for you. Right. And so I think that that's the other thing that we've really got to think about is, yes, people will get smarter on certain things over time, but then by the time they're getting smarter on that, there's something else for them that they should be mm-hmm. thinking about. So um, I think at the end of the day, we can't lose track that these are private companies. Mm-hmm. Facebook is a private company. Twitter's a, a private company. Sure. So, you know, it's their business. If they want to limit speech I mean, within a certain – as long as we are not – and the question comes down to is this the, the new town hall or the new Absolutely town square it is. where you have to have access to Twitter mm-hmm. because that's the only way you can get your point across. And, um, you know, then we, uh, we have more free speech concerns. But I can understand being a business owner and you own a business that um, not wanting your company to be used to further ideas that you don't agree with. Mm-hmm. And um, – You know, I understand wanting to have that freedom, personal freedom to say, look, I don't want my company to be involved with X, Y, Z. And, you know, I think we talked a little bit about Jeremy Renner. If anybody doesn't know Jeremy Renner, he's the guy that was on. um, He was he played Hawkeye in the Marvel series. Mm, I guess is that Marvel. I'm not a comic book guy, but I think so. I think Marvel. Anyway, Hawkeye, um, he uh, he started his own app. A little bit narcissistically. <laughs> and so I think that word I mean, probably... it works for Kim Kardashian. She made $80 million yeah. off of hers. So <laughs> if Jeremy Renner is listening to this, call me. We'll talk about it. But no, um, I highly doubt that. But um, he created his own app that was basically a Twitter clone to talk to his um, his fans. And, you know, it, it was you could you could post things on your page and we could talk about Jeremy Renner. What, I guess there's people who want to do that. Um you can buy coins and get your stuff put to the front where he sees it, you know, more. And it became this troll site where mm-hmm. people were just, they took it over. <laughs> and it, it, it's hilarious. If you get a chance to look it up on Twitter, like some of the stuff that happened or whatever, um, you know, people were creating fake profile or uh, profiles. They were making fun of Renner. They're making fun of uh, whatever. And to the point where he had to finally just shut it down. He's like, look, this isn't what this is about. So I'm right. just shutting it down. Um, but let's just say, let's just get nuts, right? And we'll just say, we decide, well, the Jeremy Renner app is the town square. Mm-hmm. We have to let these people do this. And Jeremy Renner's like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> I don't want this to happen. Why am I like putting all my energy into this thing now that, um, that, you don't stand that for. I don't stand for and I hate, right? Just so people can make fun of me. So, you know, I, I can understand that and I understand where... Um, these companies are coming from. I don't think I don't I don't know that it's motivated by personal um, thoughts so much as a fear of um, a backlash with the general public mm-hmm. and a backlash with advertising. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Because it drives their revenue. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that 
there's got to be a line. I just don't know where that line is of, you know, where do you where do you let, you know, Facebook yeah. stop? Like how much can they police and then how much should they not police just because of how many people are on it and how much influence they do have? Yeah. And I do have um, I do have a um, belief that the, the free market will hopefully um, figure out where this lands. Mm-hmm. So Twitter's already kind of have a thought about maybe putting out a wild wild west twitter where hey we don't censor anything on this twitter if you want the if you want the um more moderated twitter you you can have that or you can have this right and you know maybe that's a solution where as a consumer you can pick and say what do you want to see (laughs) how how crazy do you want to go yeah (laughs) so that might be a solution or maybe somebody emerges and says you know we're this is the a new platform and, you know, this is how we're going to run it. And, um, you know, we can see where consumers end up. So that would be interesting. Uh, and even along those lines, did you hear about the AI bot that they put on Twitter? No. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wait. I think I did hear this where. And it, the, yeah, the bot like turned into something yes. like, just awful, like just absolutely evil and incendiary yeah. just because of what. The bot was reading on Twitter. Right. And people were like messing with it, right? They were sending yeah. messages or whatever. And so the bot ended up being like super racist and they had yeah, to shut it, it down. Was... Right? <laughs> not that that's it's... funny, everyone, but. Uh... It's not funny, but it just yeah. shows you that, you know, it would be really easy for people to pick up the wrong things, especially kids that are young. Right. Um, so, so talk a little bit more about, so we've got um, Boxberry Marketing. So let's just say I'm a, a business out there. So, I, I mean, there's a lot of people who use social media, not necessarily just for business, but just to kind of create their own personal brand mm-hmm. and elevate that. Um, and I know you've had really good success with that yeah. personally, even before you started Boxberry. Um, so what kind of content, we talked about adding value, but uh, what kind of content and is it different across platforms? So my favorite sites in terms of getting leads and, and building a brand right now is Instagram. LinkedIn and Facebook. And the content doesn't change very much across any of those platforms. Uh, You can structure it a little bit differently, but it's really similar. So what I love to do is with businesses, I'll go ahead and chat with them and talk to them about, okay, first of all, let's talk about your business development side. And then from there, um, using social media, how do we help you achieve your goals? Like talk to me about your goals and how do we actually break the numbers down to saying, okay, well, these are how many leads you need based on your conversion rate and based on your sales that you want. So um, I think that building a personal brand is so important. People want to connect with people. They don't want to connect with a brand. And I think we're seeing that over and over. You know, it's really hard to connect with a logo, but if you're seeing a face. Yeah. So it's good to have, you know, the head of your company, whoever that is, you know, your CEO or just whoever is the main person that you want out there. Like they need to be having a face in your company. Um, even if you're just, you know, a small mom and pop sh- uh, store, people want to see that human connection. Mm-hmm. And you know what I think um, as a consumer too, like I am, my BS indicator is like spot on. Oh, yeah. So I can tell when somebody is being like they're authentic. Mm-hmm. Um both just in the real world and on um, social media. And I respond to that. You know, let me see wrinkles. Let me, I don't need over filtered stuff. Right. Um, let me see like, you know, like the real you. That's what I think endearing to people. I think it's definitely endearing. But I think also people still want kind of that um, 
it factor Mm -hmm. or like a tiny, tiny bit of shock. Right. So um, when I was launching Boxbury, you know, I had this big commercial photo shoot done. And I was like a little nervous about it. The pictures can be like a little bit more on the edge. And I was a little nervous. But overall, it's gotten such great response. People are like, well, whoa, like you got these like really fancy yeah. photos done. Well, the pictures were great. But what I liked is you also showed like the backdrop. Yeah. And you knew it was a backdrop. Yeah. And you knew that this was a a, yeah. a professional shoot, not like trying to pull it off like, hey. This didn't happen. Yeah. Like this is posed <laughs> me in front of, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's just candid and where everybody knows it's not candid, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. seeing behind the curtain a little bit there, I think, kind of makes it more authentic there. Yeah, and we barely edited the photos, and that was yeah. another big thing. Um, I've had people reach out and say, you know, you really should edit these photos more, or you really yeah. should, you know, whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I just don't think I want to. Like, I yeah, want I like people that. to see yeah. how how I really am. And that way, when they see me in person, they're like, oh, you don't look anything like right. what you look online. Yeah, I think everybody's <laughs> seen the Instagram model who has overdone their pictures, and and it's just like, this person does not look anything like right. that. Right. Well, it's so funny. I have so many friends who, you know, have all these editing apps. And so before, like on Instagram, like there was a group photo of some of my girlfriends and I took recently. And someone was like, um, make all of us look like way skinnier, please. <laughs> right. and, and they did. It was yeah. really funny. Yeah. So. Um, well, you know, I could go probably another hour. Honestly, um, we could get into AI and the whole thing. But yeah. um, I want to be mindful of your time. So um, I just want to wrap up. And first of all, thank you again for coming in. I mean, great discussion. Um, and um, wanted to give you kind of some time to give you a quick plug. Sure. Where can they find people find you on social media? Where can they find your company? Um, that kind of thing. Yeah. So you can find the company boxburymarketing.com. So B-O-X-X-B-U-R-Y marketing.com. And I actually have a space on there where you can get trained by me. Your company can get trained by me. You can look into our services. But there's also a free tools on there as well, like a free webinar. And so people can um, learn just real tools that they can start implementing today for free. And then the other thing, um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, at The Blonde Fixer. If you want to message me, I'm pretty responsive. It's But at The Blonde Fixer, T-H-E. There's going to be weirdos like crazy coming I get out. weirdos every day. I get <laughs> like 50 weirdos every day. I All just right. like filter, filter, filter. Um, but so The Blonde Fixer, T-H-E-B-L-O-N-D-E-F-I-X-E-R. And then Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Just search Michelle Stansbury. It's Michelle spelled with two L's. And the last name is S T A N S. B-U-R-Y. All right. Well, Michelle, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Tyler Gossett Podcast. If you like what you hear, do me a favor. Leave a review and subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. To drop me a line, email me at tylergossettpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks.